0: Welcome to Overdue, and it it's a podcast about the books that you have been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And this is now our third episode, so in case you haven't heard me say this before, let me tell you what's going on. Drop it. Eat- drop some truths. Uh, I will drop some truth bombs about us. <laughs> uh, each week, Andrew or myself will have chosen a book, not quite at random, but a book from our uh, backlog, our bookshelf that... Maybe we've been meaning to read, or someone gave to us and said we should read, or something like that, and we're just going to go through it, and one of us will have read it, and one of us won't, and that's kind of the, the journey that we go on each week. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a mystical, amazing journey, a tour through the world of imagination. Yeah. My Such
0: imagination, your s- imagination. Yeah. The
1: mm-hmm. kind of journey that a good book can take you on.
0: Well, yeah, Hopefully. Basically, this is a a podcast adaptation of Wishbone. (laughs) (laughs) Is that basically what we're doing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're like
1: one animal in a funny hat away from just being Wishbone.
0: I'll be the animal, you wear the funny hat.
1: Okay, got it. Great. I don't know what that means. Split the difference. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Weird. Okay, Craig, you read the book for this week, so lay it on me. Who yeah. is
0: it by, and what is it? I read the book. Uh, it's called Edward Albee's Tiny Alice. Now, it's a play. We're already, we're, I'm already breaking the rules. I'm flipping the script, literally, on you. Oh, God. <laughs> hey. hey. Um, and it's funny that you ask who it's by, because Edward Albee has this thing. He is a playwright of some renown. Um, And he has this thing where it's in his contract on all of the plays that if you, like, print or you make a poster about a production of his play, his name has to be the the largest font. (laughs) And it has to come before the title. There's, like, a special note. that says, the name of the author must appear on a separate line in which no other name appears immediately prior to the title and in size of type equal to the largest, most prominent letter used for the title of the play. Wow. So yeah, he was,
1: he was the Tyler Perry of his
0: day then. <laughs> I mean, he's still around. Okay, he's, he's not. He hasn't left us yet. I didn't know how old he was. Um, I don't know exactly how old he was. How old he is either? Mm-hmm. Um, Tiny Alice was first produced in 1964, and was the first play uh, put up in broad on Broadway after his, you know, big. Success. uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Which is probably the thing that you might recognize if you don't know who Edward Albee is. Um, Yeah. So I have this play. I bought it when I was in college. When I was when I had what was not really free bookstore money. Um, the way that our yeah, the way that our you should explain this to the people. Yeah, it's
1: kind of weird. Like I'm not. Go explain it, and then I'll ask you the questions that I have about
0: it. Okay. So Kenyon College did this thing where you could tell them when you took out your loans or whatever you needed to pay each semester that you wanted to put a certain amount of money in this bookstore account. That was not real money because you're taking out a loan, ostensibly. And so you just put money in this account. And you'd use it to buy your textbooks. But because I took a lot of arts classes uh, and theater classes, all of my books were super cheap. So I would end up with all sorts of extra money to spend on food, uh, college paraphernalia, and other books that I thought I should read. And so I bought Tiny Alice one day in a flurry of like, here's a bunch of plays that I should read because I'm a drama major. And (laughs) I never read it. It's just been sitting on... (laughs) I have a couple of those. Um, So I figured this would be a a good one to toss in early because I've kind of... It's kind of the impulse for this whole show has been one of those things, one of those books and plays I bought myself that I told myself I should read and then, you know, promptly ignored. So, yeah, I didn't even really know anything about this play when I bought it, which is, I guess, kind of the point and kind of the point of this show.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm not really familiar with Albie. Like, what what's the structure of the play? Like, it is it a one-act thing? Is it? is it a longer one like what
0: no it's a it's a full full full-length play okay um five people four men one woman um the titular alice sort of we'll get into that (laughs) um but it's a full-length play i think it's in he uses a three-act structure a lot uh with an intermission after what i believe is act two uh and it's uh, he he I've read I've read a lot of what he's written about his own theater, and he kind of gets lumped into this theater of the absurd of the mid 20th century, um, which is kind of the people including and coming right after folks like Samuel Beckett and Eugenio Um But he's not quite sure that that matters. Like he doesn't he's more interested in just telling you a story, you know, and if it's a little weird, then that's fine. You deal with it. Audience, um, and this is one of the ones that like. <laughs> Why is he contemptuous of his audience? He's a little contemptuous. <laughs> I, I think I can say that without disparaging him. I think he would admit that he is a little, dis- a little contemptuous sometimes.
1: Uh, in in what way though? Is he is he? Is he, does he just, like, drop stuff on you and, like, yo, you have to deal with this and I'm not going to make it super clear what I'm talking about or, or what's the...
0: That is exactly what this play is doing. Okay. Um, so we can get into that. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Tiny Alice starts off in the courtyard of some cardinal. And it, it's, you know, implied that it's the Catholic Church, but we are never quite told if it's in America or if it's in England. I assume it's somewhere in America. But it feels it feels a lot older than it is even though time is never specified. If that you mean makes the play sense. does? Yes. Okay. Uh, like in the sense that it kind of feels a little out of time. It doesn't necessarily it was written in the in 1960, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel like that's where it's set. But the play doesn't really care to tell you when it's set either.
1: Now, when that kind of thing happens in a play, does that make it feel timeless or does that kind of make it feel prematurely dated almost or, or does that even come into it?
0: There's an odd as someone who works in the theater uh, and that's one of the reasons that we'll we'll dive into plays now and again on the show I think um, it can be both and usually the better plays and this happens a lot for Shakespeare and uh, other classics that people stage is you kind of put it in this nebulous almost turn of the 19th century world where people or class is still v- pretty clear and we have pretty uh, solid ideas of what costumes go along with those classes in terms of people wearing suits. And, you know, you can do a Shakespeare play where all the royalties in suits and all the low-class people are, you know, just in kind of junky clothes that are... And it kind of feels timeless. You never have to say, like, oh, I'm setting this in... 1940s Italy like mm-hmm. you could and that's a different <laughs> choice but i think there's a lot of su- i've seen a lot of successful shakespearean productions that kind of they take a lot of shorthand as opposed right, to actually spelling it out it's easier
1: visually to kind of signify that stuff through clothes so you don't have to spend a lot of time establishing it in the in the dialogue or, mm-hmm. or whatever
0: yeah and that kind of hierarchy of service plays actually a lot into tanya allison service not coming from shakespeare but just hierarchy of class and how people are uh how work how they work for other characters because we start off with this lawyer and this cardinal and it's this really antagonistic scene where the lawyer just kind of keeps badgering the cardinal and the cardinal's gonna try and get some money out of the lawyer and then the lawyer starts trying to get the cardinal to say I instead of saying we whenever he talks about himself. <laughs> okay. And it's like, w- like it's really mean. And he just starts yelling it. I can't even, oh God. I was reading it. It's like, it's just so nasty and sarcastic and full of puns. <laughs> and not really puns, but like double entendres. Yeah. Um, like I'm just randomly leafing through uh, the pages and like the lawyer and the cardinal have an educational background like they went to the same school together and the cardinals were calling what nickname they had for the lawyer and they're like oh yeah we called you hyena. He's like we thought about we thought to call you that when we realized that uh, they devoured the dead scavenged prey and chewed into it through the anus and it's all in capital letters with like three question marks. That's really mean. And then the the I feel just,
1: really hurt if somebody called me that for that reason.
0: Yeah, it's not just I'm like sure. oh, haha, ha, you have a funny laugh. It's like <laughs> no, you eat people's anuses. It's terrible. It's
1: got to be super insulting and also obscure.
0: Yeah. Oh man, it's so weird, and so they kind of play with each other for a whole scene, like verbally in that way, and. In that way, where someone calls someone an anus-eating hyena. (laughs) Uh, And the plot is basically the lawyer's shown up to get some money, or no, to propose some money to the Cardinal from his boss, Miss Alice, who we haven't met yet. Uh, And right from the get-go, Albie's tossing in these uh, symbols. Like, in the Cardinal's garden, there is a little cage that is shaped like a castle and has two literal cardinals inside of it, like the birds.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's a little on the nose, but okay.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of on the nose, but you never know why kind of thing. Like, it's...
1: Because it kind of seems like it should be... Like, that's a pretty obvious metaphor, but does he ever explain, like, exactly why it's... (laughs) No. Why it is that way? Okay.
0: (laughs) No, but get ready for it because it sets up the the main symbol that we we see through the rest of the play. Okay. So then in scene two, we go to the library of a mansion that's like a big castle, right? And that's that's part of the whole, like, I don't know what time this is taking place because it all takes place in castles. (laughs) Um, Well, just one, really. But so inside the library, right, it's a big fancy room. There is a huge doll hou- like doll's house model of the building that they are in. Okay. Like to the T. Sure. And ideally you make it, when you design this show, you make it pretty huge, but you have to make it within reason of whatever you can fit on stage. Um, you know, he's, he would like it to be, Albie says, 12 feet long and proportionately high, which is huge. Okay. That's like so he cool. gives
1: directions for – I, and part of the thing that will be interesting when we discuss plays is I do not have much of a background at all in that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So is it common in plays? Because I know it's not in in some of the ones that I've read to like describe exactly how things like that should be constructed and displayed.
0: Yeah, and really, it really varies from playwright to playwright, and I'll say from what knowledge I have of all the – Uh, I keep going back and forth on the pronunciation of his name, and I don't really know what the real way is. I think Um, it's
1: Albie, but I, again... I've
0: I've heard both from very intelligent people, so I have no idea. (laughs)
1: It's tomato-tomato, I think, probably. Yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) pajamas-pajamas. Yeah, he will do a lot of specifying. Now, I am reading a script uh, published, like a, a script edition of the play. So I might be getting some extra stage directions that are from a production, like from the Broadway production that might have been put in kind of like what we call the blocking, which is like people moving around on stage. Right. Some of that might not be in the like book, quote unquote, if you if you bought like a collection of Albie plays or something like that. Um, it, those might not be in there. But what he will do, he will do kind of pretty explicit if there's like a big set thing like this that needs to be in there. And he'll also do... A lo- lots of like sarcastically or praising a puppy, or a combination <laughs> of apology and defiance, and those are all for like how actors should deliver lines. Okay, um, Albie also has directed a lot of his own work, so I, he's as I said at the outset with the fact that his name needs to be as big as the name of the play. Uh, he exerts a lot of arth- authorial control over what is happening.
1: Yeah, I was just I was just going to ask because. You- you were talking about Shakespeare, who is somebody who, you know, sometimes, every once in a while you'll see a straight Shakespeare play, but I think it's probably more common almost now to see ones that have been kind of adapted for the, for the modern era because there's not a lot of, I don't know, there, there's not a lot of really specific stuff like that in there. So, yeah, it does kind of display an, uh, a desire on... I'll be Albies part to <laughs> to um to make sure that the people who are seeing this play are all kind of getting the same stuff from it.
0: Yeah, exac exactly. It's the twentieth century kind of rise of the playwright and coming out of modernist theater, um trying to make sure that the play that has been written down is the play that everyone sees in perpetuity. Sure. You know. Um you go back and you read someone like Eugene O'Neill, and the opening of his play, Long Day's Journey in the Night, has about four pages of stage directions that just describe how, what the characters look like, which is just impossible. <laughs> but be, right. he, ro- he wrote that play based on his family, so he has like, very clear ideas of what's going on. Um, okay, so we get to scene two, and we've got this giant dollhouse, right? Mm-hmm. Which is an exact replica of the building that they are in. Sure. More on that later. I think the I think the birdcage is kind of like setting that idea up, if that makes sense. Like
1: stuff within stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. Sure. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, so stuff
1: th- within stuff are like smaller versions that <coughs> represent larger places and events and stuff.
0: Yes. Okay. Like we are that the idea that perhaps that there are things on stage that are microcosms of larger things right. and perhaps that idea extends to the what we are seeing if that makes sense yeah um so then we meet julian in scene 2 and julian is uh the lay servant of the cardinal he is affiliated with the church but he's not ordained and he has some like he spent six years away from the church because he had some sort of crazy crisis of faith, which everybody obsesses over. Uh, So, and he's the main character of the play. We made him in scene two. Okay. So he shows up and has a prolonged conversation with this character called Butler, who is a butler.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if, if that's his family name and they're just all butlers.
0: No, there's a line about it. Oh God, where is it? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I just remembered this joke. <laughs> um, oh, he says, Julian says, no, nothing, thank you. Uh, I don't have your name. And Butler says, fortunate. No, I meant the Butler. You, you are the butler, are you not? But Butler, my name is Butler. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that makes things easy.
0: Yeah, and then they they have a bunch of wordplay about it. And then when, when Lawyer comes in, because that's the only name we have for him, when Lawyer comes in, he... Uh, he references the fact that they probably just had wordplay about the butler being named Butler. (laughs) Like this is, (laughs) that should help you out with the sense of humor that's happening in this play. Okay. So they kind of talk a lot and they talk about the deal with the Cardinal and that Julian's there to kind of meet Miss Alice and, Help this donation of hers that she wants to give to the church, which is billions of insert currency that is never mentioned here okay um he never really again he doesn 't say dollars and he doesn 't say pounds or you know whatever um, so they talk for a while, and I think that's really the main they talk about God and they talk about religion we'll talk we'll talk more about that thematically a little bit later i guess uh and then in scene three, we meet Miss Alice. And first, she shows up looking all super old, and Julian's all uh, weirded out, and there's lots of people pretending to be deaf and yelling really loud. (laughs) Like, well, Miss Alice is pretending to be deaf, and so people talk really loudly at her, and then she'll say stuff like, don't scream at me. Okay. But then yell back at him when she's pretending not to hear him anymore. And this is, I was reading this play... A couple of days ago and realized that that is one of my favorite jokes ever That's really just a type as a type of joke i really like what it's done really well of just someone yelling at someone that they think is deaf and the audience knows they're not and that the way that you make a character kind of get egg on their face that way I don't
1: yeah know. I, I don't know like it sounds pretty annoying to me but to each <laughs> is so.
0: i guess i don't know <laughs> Um I don't I feel like I'm feel like I'm doing much too detailed of a summary here. Should yeah, I so faster? okay.
1: Um how far are we right now? Are Ooh, we're we still in on act one?
0: Y- yeah, we're not like far. how many
1: scenes are there in act one?
0: There's probably three or four scenes. Oh we're on, we're in the last scene, act one. Oh really? Okay. All you need to know Miss Alice shows up and she looks really old and she does all those funny jokes that made me laugh, and then <laughs> She takes off a mask, and she's not that old, and she's hot. That's basically how that goes. What a reveal. And Julian's like, what? And she's like, I was just playing a joke. That's basically what happens. Why was she doing that? I don't know, because she wanted to mess with him. Um, Oh, everyone in this play hates each other. Yeah, get ready for it. So then act two, Here, I made a note. I was like trying to make notes to sum up the plot, and I just made a bullet point in capital letters that just said, everyone is sexed up, I think. (laughs) Uh, so act two starts with the lawyer trying to have sex with Miss Alice. Like he is into her and maybe they have a thing, but right now she has to work. She has to deal with Julian and he's not allowed to have her. And so he starts hating Julian for that reason. And Butler's just being a dick to everybody. Uh, and this is where we discover (laughs) that Julian, uh, he spent 6 years in mental institution because he kind of went nuts thinking about god and how people specifically like not people specifically humanity um, how people use god and you know use his name and use faith to justify things right and so he wanted to remove himself kind of from society cuz he was so distraught by it that he went to a mental, mental institution for 6 years um I guess this comes up later, sort of and factors into what is happening um, all of this has religious undertones. just know that
1: okay well, so, is, it, is it religious like pro or anti or uh, nothing or it's
0: it's, it's <laughs> about faith and or is it we'll just get, like
1: uh is it just about like the nature of faith
0: yeah it's about it's about the nature of faith and how people can use it poorly and manipulate it and manipulate each other with it. I I think, I think that's what this is about. So, (laughs) so then in act two, there's a whole scene between lawyer and Butler where they like play act other characters. It's really weird. Like first the Butler is playing the Cardinal and the lawyer is just having fun ripping into the Cardinal again and then the butler play acts as julian so and this is where you start to find out that the the model of the house might mean more than just being a model and it starts to feel all twilight zony which is super <laughs> weird uh that's that's oh god i remember reading the end of act two and i was like what is going on then miss julian miss alice and julian i think they have sex or they get really close to having sex, and Julian talks about how he like he thinks of martyrdom a lot. Okay, and, like, that for him that's some sort of like ultimate version of service, I guess. To so he's
1: pro martyrdom.
0: Yeah, as long as he doesn't get too much recognition, or as long as people <laughs> understand that he was doing it for the right reasons.
1: I don't think you get to stipulate like how you were made into a martyr like I don't
0: Yeah, and I, I think that might actually be the point. I think that's a that's an interesting question to to ask. That like yeah. he is assuming that he can control how he will be remembered and what his role in the church will be. Yeah, because
1: I mean, I think a, a lot of the point or just or many martyrs were not setting out to be martyrs. Like, I don't think you start with the goal of being a martyr and then you do stuff to, to, to get yourself there. I think it just happens when you're, when you're not trying that hard.
0: Yeah. Um, so then at the end of Act 2, which is right before the intermission, um, Julian and Alice agree to get married. That's like the plan that the lawyer has dreamed up. And it's – all the language is kind of like it's going to be a sacrifice. Like, and you don't really know why that is, right? So then Miss Alice ends the second act by yelling, he will be yours. He will be yours. Alice! And, like, so then you're like, why is Miss Alice yelling to Alice? do 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 do
1: Is that the Twilight Zone song?
0: Yeah, that's that was me doing that.
1: Okay, that was pretty good.
0: Thanks. So, th- so then Act 3 starts... <laughs> that was a weird interlude.
1: No, that's fine. Uh, it's Act 3.
0: Yeah, Act 3, Julian's like, why was that wedding so anticlimactic? Why is no one here partying? This is super weird. I feel kind of like, not quite drunk, but kind of depressed. So then, their
1: wedding happens off stage between yes. acts? Okay, during the intermission?
0: Yes. Um, the cardinal shows up, and he apparently presided over the wedding, and then... Uh, the lawyer shows up and he's acting all smarmy, and then Miss Alice shows up and she doesn't really want anything to do with Julian. And Julian's like, "Wait, I thought we were married. Why is everyone being an ass to me?" And this is basically where I stopped understanding what was happening.
1: It I, sounded like you didn't really have a good handle on what was happening.
0: I, you know, I, a little
1: I, before this,
0: I did. I was I was intrigued. It's one of those things where it's like, "Oh, there's oh that." that house is super weird and maybe it's magical and you know, he's <laughs> going to get trapped in the house. Like the, are you afraid of the dark kids or something? <laughs> um, but that's it's, but it's super, super sexual throughout, which is like creepy on purpose. Like it's not like good, sexy. It's not hot. Okay. It's, it's deliberately supposed to like offend. I think when it first came out, it was uh, a lot of people did not like it for that reason. Sure. Um, you know, impropriety and whatnot. Uh, So then they get to the end, and everyone turns on Julian, and they tell him to accept Miss Alice. And he's like, wait, I thought we got married. And they're like, no, you married her through Miss Alice. You need to accept tiny Alice. I think they say that at one point. Um, and he's like, "Nope, I won't do that." What are you talking about? And then they shoot Julian, and so he dies for about five pages. That takes a long time for him to die.
1: Okay, is this like a a religion metaphor so again? Still, like,
0: oh, the whole play is yeah,
1: right. But
0: yeah, so they shoot him.
1: Keep going, and maybe we'll come out on the other side of this. But I'm no. <laughs>
0: this is so confusing. I know. So. So they all leave him, right, and Miss okay. Alice seems a little remorseful, but it seems like that was the plan all along, they were making him into some sort of sacrifice. Uh, and then he has, like, a two-page monologue where he yells to God a lot, and then kind of starts to lose it, and then in the mini-house, uh, like, there's a light that's, that lights up and starts moving around... And I suppose that is this Alice that he has been sacrificed to. And then it ends with him in like a Christ pose on the ground, dead, accepting God slash Alice. And then he dies.
1: What? How's your brain?
0: How's your brain on <laughs> I'm, drugs? I'm not. So, okay. So Alice is
1: like a metaphor for God or. Christianity or, or whatever, but like to what end? Like, why?
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's what, <laughs> I think that's what's been so confusing for me. And I, you know, I, oh God, I, I tried to read like a bunch of reviews of productions of the play, and everyone's like, yeah, it's, it's good and it's about faith and it's about martyrdom.
1: But what's and like the what's the takeaway, I guess? Like maybe and maybe it's not supposed to be clear what the I don't know what yeah. like the lesson or the message is, but I'm not sure. It's, if... it's clear that it has one or it wants you to think that it has one.
0: Yeah, that's what confuses me. I think okay. I think it's yeah, I know what it's about, but I don't know what it's saying about those things, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and like that. Ties back in with like the the cardinals and the cage and the little model of the of the of the castle. Like there's all this stuff in there that's obviously loaded, but like why?
0: <laughs> well, and, and apparently he had given interviews about the play. I don't know when the last time he did an interview about this play was, where he was like, "Yeah, why would I tell you what it means?" <clears throat> like he basically admitted a couple things about character names and stuff that I don't remember um, with you know, giving them loaded meaning. And then it's just a bunch of kind of iconography that we are supposed to, or we will attach meaning to. And Albie knows that. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the point. Maybe it's, maybe he's just like trying to
1: exploit this, this stuff, like knowing that you're going to try to attach stuff to
0: it and read stuff into it. And he's just like trolling you. I don't, I don't think he's trolling us. I don't know that that, I don't think it's that blunt, but it does, in comparing it to something like, oh, I don't know, it seems, it's like, kind of like Lost? That seems like a bad analog. So
1: he started the play and it was going to be great, but then he didn't know how to end it and it ended up being bad.
0: No, I think it was just that, yeah, yeah. I think it was just that he purposefully loaded it with some very specific metaphors Mm -hmm. and uh, symbols that will have weight almost because you don't know exactly what they mean. If that, like the fact that he never says there's definitely a tiny woman in the house and she's a demon and she's going to eat him. Like (laughs) that's, that's what the twilight zone would do. You know, like he would end up shrunken down and trapped inside the house. Um, But, (laughs) He, this guy who, you know, starts the play being like, I am not technically a part of the church. I'm a servant and I'm, do, I'm here to do my job and that's it. And then he gets physically seduced by this woman who is some sort of analog for God, I guess, uh, and then goes through another crisis of faith over the course of the play and then has to suffer his martyrdom to prove his faith, I suppose. There's not, it's not really clear why any of this needed to happen. <laughs> and maybe the first scene between the lawyer and the cardinal is supposed to shed some light on why Albie thinks any of this happens, that there are the people who end up professing the strongest faith and working the hardest for that faith are often not the ones pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what he's saying. I don't know. I feel like I need to see this play if I'm going to like it. And even then, I might just be like, that was weird. I don't...
1: Well, okay, let me me lay this on you. And I don't
0: know, like,
1: I don't know. Last episode, we read Love in the Time of Cholera, and we refrained from actually looking up anything on the internet about it. So I don't know what our show's relationship to looking facts up
0: Yo, no, hit me. Hit me with Ahead the of facts. time, it's going to be? Hit, hit
1: okay. Me. If you Google um, I'll be, you know, Tiny Alice, one yeah. of the first things that comes up is a New York Times review from like the week after it went up uh-huh. in 1965. Okay. Uh, the headline is Tiny Alice Mystifies I'll Be Too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's a judgment. I don't think that that is a, an, object, an, an objective fact.
1: No, well, I mean, I, I just want to, there's a, a one line in here that I want to lay on you and see if you okay. have any reaction to it. Okay. He said, this is Albie speaking, he says, The play is not an attack on the church, but it might be considered an attack on the way people use religion. Why must we define a concept of God in our image?
0: Great. There you go. That seems okay. about right. <laughs> thanks for thanks for fact-checking my ideas about the play with yeah. the author's quotes. Okay. Yeah, the idea that you never see what it is—that the people on stage who are the close, who have any sort of attachment to whatever this god is, aren't actually it. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that he could spend the entire play thinking that the actual woman on stage was the point, and she was just someone in a costume, you know, to right. guide him across mm-hmm. the the threshold, as it were.
1: Well, and I guess they. I, I mean, I'm probably getting this wrong, but they end up like killing him in, in tiny Alice's name,
0: too. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, so and they they kill him because they because he's saying he won't accept her. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he says he's already accepted God. And so they're firing back with like, no, we need you to accept this. So that's where it becomes this idea of like competing definitions of what God is. Uh, which is actually pretty insightful on Alby's part, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so they kill him or they shoot him, and then they all kind of leave him there being like, it's a shame, he would have done it. And then he does at the end by himself when he yeah. sees the little light moving in the house, which is super mm-hmm. creepy. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, you you found it, Andrew. Good work. Sorry. No, that's okay. Well, I
1: think the, that deathbed redemption thing is kind of interesting interesting too because that's its own like religious convention as you go through life not not accepting it or or something and then you you're dying and you get terrified because it's going to be the end of everything you know and so it's more it's easier and maybe more comforting to accept something like that you know as your life is slipping away from you than well, it is when you're like fully conscious and and everything
0: yeah and the idea that he's that he is choosing an unknown he's choosing between a couple unknowns right he's choosing Mm -hmm. he's choosing the one that a bunch of people told him was a thing because he starts to see some sort of evidence of it as he's dying but he's also been clinging to his own version of what it was the entire play Mm -hmm. um but he's been clinging to that and then has to face another unknown death not you know having no idea what's going to come of it if his belief system is correct um so yeah, that's that is you're right about the the deathbed redemption thing, um, but it is also very specific that he has to be laid out in a crucifixion pose. <laughs> so it's not just like a straight up guy dying. No, it's like in case you missed it, I don't know if you missed it, but he, symbolism, <laughs> symbolism. And <clears throat> God, sorry I have to clear my throat, but
1: that's no, okay. <clears throat> You're getting choked up. You're getting a little. I know. Verklempt. I'm getting a little <laughs> Talking about
0: your reactions to Tiny Alice. It's just a weird play, man. <laughs> I don't, and it's it's the kind of thing where, like, scope-wise, you it's no larger than like a long episode of like. I don't know why I keep bringing up like X-Files and Twilight Zone, but like the here's a weird guy in a weird situation and there's some freaky stuff happening that it kind of feels like it has larger implications than that. Right. Like,
1: well, a lot of those Twilight Zone and and X-Files episodes do use like weird incidents and like supernatural occurrences to to comment on. On real things, so I think I, th- I don't think you're entirely off base with that with that analogy.
0: And I, and I think that an audience, you know, I'm reading it now, having not ever read it before, and it's 50 years since it premiered, and that's kind of my gut reaction to like a freaky thing like that happening on stage, and it not having a clear explanation. You know, mm-hmm. I think if you tell me that I'm going to go see a play that is about ghosts or something. <laughs> and I, I say that earnestly because there are a couple good plays that I know that at least ghosts aren't necessarily on stage, but like people are telling ghost stories. There's a play uh, called Shining City that I'm thinking of, and the guys are telling this ghost story throughout the entire play, and then at the very end of it, there might be, like, you get a hint that maybe something was actually happening. And that's yeah,
1: because I was just going to ask you, like, what are your top five... Ghost, that's plays. ghost play.
0: Ghost play. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, that's the only one I can think of right now. Um, Macbeth is one. Oh well, yeah. But Shakespeare's yeah. Shakespeare's ghost rules are very different, also, because he's writing in a time where the audience themselves probably believed in ghosts a bit more than people today.
1: Have you seen? like the discovery channel there are plenty of people who believe in ghosts today ghosts
0: and bigfoots yep <laughs> ghosts and bigfoots what are your uh, top
1: 5 favorite plays about bigfoot
0: oh god i don't a have you not seen s- that many of them cuz that's your squatchy, that's your homework a squatchy named desire yeah it's my <laughs> favorite bigfoot play cuz they're. oh god i don't want to talk about bigfoots anymore okay I don't know if I have anything else to say about Tiny Alice.
1: Does it I mean does this make you want to read more Albie and and try and figure out of this? Cuz I don't I guess I don't know how much you've read already but like that's is this a, yeah, we should is this about kind about of that. structure is this kind of structure normal for him or
0: I think he's all over the place. And I think that's why I kind of was like, oh, well, this is going to be weird. Um <laughs> <laughs> the very first play that he wrote, and there's a play I read in high school, is called The Zoo Story, which he went back and updated. And it's two guys on a park bench in New York, and that's it. Um, but then he wrote Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is two couples arguing at a college. And the end of it gets a little weird, but it doesn't ever get, like, uh, supernatural. Right. He and did. that's probably
1: his best-known Yes, work
0: at this point very much so um, and then he did write a play called Seascape which I read and don't really remember it's about a middle aged couple that goes to the beach and then an, an, anal- an analogous couple of lizard people come out of the water and it's about them learning what humans are and it's one of those <sighs> things where the, the humans learn about their own humanity by having to teach it to these lizard people Okay, and then at the end of it, the lizard. <laughs> and then at the end of it, the lizard people are like, "F this, we're going back in the water." <laughs> uh, so he's not afraid to kind of nudge you out of your comfort zone in terms of realism. Like that's that's kind of why he gets this theater of the absurd uh, tag, because mm-hmm. Zoo Story itself feels a little. It's it all his stuff always feels a little bit bigger than the. Naturalist trappings that he might use, which is kind of what made this play interesting from a production and and from a the mi- bleh, from the mindset of someone who uh, directs and works with actors like you would have to you can't just I can't just tell the lawyer that he may or may not be a supernatural being named lawyer like and then just say <laughs> go. Like, <laughs> like he has all these like very human motivations, and he's very snide and sarcastic and witty, and so we have to kind of we'd have to navigate that actual human being on stage because the actor playing it has to be able to do all those things. Um, so the the fact that it's grounded in a reality that is kind of recognizable, and then he slowly is hinting that something else is going on. Is the appeal of this play anyway? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I'll read I I'll read and have read plenty other Edward Albee plays, uh, but probably none as weird as this one. Then <laughs> that even includes Seascape with the Lizard People.
1: <laughs> that actually sounds kind of straightforward by comparison. I mean, just based on your one sentence synopsis.
0: Yeah, there's fewer questions of like, where do they come from and why are they here and are they really lizard people? No, they're tiny lizard people inside that rock that looks like the beach. No, that never, that doesn't happen. It's it, they're just <laughs> lizard people, and then they have some questions. He, he does he he in some of his other plays, like *Delicate Balance* is a play where there's like there are two characters that are neighbors of the family that kind of just show up and then lock themselves in a room because they're just terrified. And he never and like the whole point is that you never find out why. It's this kind of I don't know. It's like this sub- comment on suburban mentalities, I think, or like waspy mentalities. Um, that they're just terrified that stuff, something's going to happen to them. And so they hole up in a room offstage for almost the entire play. Hmm. So he's not above kind of just tossing out a question and then purposefully not answering it because you're supposed to kind of feel you having that question is the point as frustrating as that sounds. Um, That's kind of why in terms of style in tiny Alice, uh, the character Julian is a lot more earnest and kind of forthcoming than everyone else. Like everyone else seems in on it and he isn't. So there's (laughs) that kind of, there's that fish out of water element that kind of helps the audience along. Right. But at the same time, he doesn't really figure it out until he's dead. And he's only ever really just making a choice to have figured it out. He doesn't actually know what's going on. Um, So, you know,
1: this was weird. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna try. It sounds weird. It sounds like if there's one word to, to describe the takeaway, that yeah. you've kind of nailed it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's funny, because like all the, the reviews of the 1960 production were like, this is heinous and terrible. And then <laughs> I read a couple reviews of productions from like 10 years ago, and they were all like, this is a really funny play. And people were missing the point a long time ago. And it's all about faith and yada, yada, yada. So, you
1: know, sensibilities change and the things people get offended by change. So,
0: yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So I guess if you're looking to get weirded out about faith and uh, a tiny house, then you should read Tiny Alice.
1: (laughs) Edward Albee's Tiny Alice.
0: Yeah, you actually it says on this little script version of it, it says Edward Albee's Tiny Alice. So you better call it that.
1: It's probably how we should format it on the on the site.
0: Yeah, we have to make sure we use the typeface correctly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll, get, we'll get in trouble.
1: Is people are going to call us? Uh,
0: so if people wanted to uh, find information on Edward Allfrey's <laughs> Donny Alice on our website, <laughs> where would they go, Andy?
1: Um, they would go to our URL in their little address bar in their internet web browser, um, which is overduepodcast.com. Um, we've also got a Twitter account, which is at overduepod, and a Gmail account, um, overduepod at gmail dot com, and you can send us comments and hate mail and suggestions for books and stuff like that there
0: if if you want.
1: Um, we've got a Facebook page too, uh, um, facebook dot com slash overduepod. You just have to I search.
0: Believe. You just have to search overdue on Facebook right now. Or you,
1: yeah, you can do that too. Yeah. Um, and you know, links for that stuff are all up on our website. We've also got links for RSS feeds and for iTunes. So please do subscribe. If you do it through iTunes, please do review us as well. And, um, we don't have any stupid Google ads up on the webpage, but we do provide Amazon links for all the books that we're going to read every week. So if you want to go up there and if you're interested in, in buying this book, uh, use our link to buy it, that would be super awesome of you.
0: I would say that if you, if you just listen to me rant about Tiny Alice for half an hour and are as confused as I am and don't ever want to read it, uh, I would recommend other works by Edward Albee, including okay. including Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Zoo Story, I think, are both really good plays. Oh, also yeah, they... Three, Three Tall Women, which is a similarly crazy play that doesn't really answer all of its questions, and that's not the point, but it's really good.
1: Okay. Maybe we'll throw some of those out there, too. We'll, that's we'll, not a bad idea. Yeah,
0: we'll figure it out.
1: But uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next week.
0: Bye.